Well, welcome to Trinity Church. Thank you everyone for joining us, either here in person or joining us online. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are studying the Gospel of Matthew together as a church family. Is it hard to believe we're over 60% of the way through this Gospel? Or, or, or maybe you think of it the other way, like we're still only 60% or maybe a tad beyond that. Uh, we're, we're learning about Jesus, and, and this is a, hardly a study done on an island. We've been looking at how the Old Testament uh, points forward to, foreshadows the coming of Jesus as the Messiah. And, and, and we've seen how the rest of the New Testament is built on the life and death uh, of Jesus. That he's this long-expected king come in a very unexpected way. And uh, one thing we've realized uh, through this study is that this might have been written nearly 2,000 years ago, but the situations we're facing today aren't all that different. Switch a few things, and the issues are still very relevant. You know, but one example that we've seen uh, already in this gospel is that Jesus is the Messiah sent to the Jews. But who are the ones we've seen so far who've embraced him? And not the people you would have expected, the religious leaders. No, instead it's a surprising number of Gentiles. It's Jewish outcasts like that of the disciples. And, and that's preparing for Jesus' uh, commission to the disciples at the end of the gospel where he sends them out to go make disciples of all nations. Uh, you see, uh, racism, prejudice, was just as much alive in Jesus' day as it is in, in ours. We're going to see in the, some of the writings of the Apostle Paul that that, that was a big thing they were dealing with in the early church. A church made up of Jews and Gentiles worshiping Jesus uh, together. The, the message of the gospel is powerful and is, it tears down walls that divide us because we're united in Christ. However, even though the gospel is the most powerful weapon against prejudice, hate, racism, it, it has often been failed to be used in that way. And, and, and that racism, prejudice based on ethnicity, it is still uh, alive and well in our day. And, you know, we as the church need to take the lead in loving others of other ethnicities, backgrounds, socioeconomic groups, because we have something far greater in common that unites us. And his name is Jesus. This, this calling we're, we're called to is not easy because the church isn't just a place where, where we go. It isn't just something you can attend, but it, it is a group of people brought together through Jesus. This is messy. It's doing life together. It's growing together. And, and today we're, we're going to meet an issue in forgiveness that is exactly that. 
It's difficult. It's not, not easy. It, this is a less than comfortable truth, but, but one that should define us as Christians. So our passage today, um, you can find Matthew 18, starting with verse 21. I want to, while you're finding that, I want to thank DJ. He gifted me a couple verses, verses 21 and 22, and um, they, they fit perfectly with uh, this uh, parable of the unforgiving uh, servant. So starting Matthew 18, starting with verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience on me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Uh, pray with me. Father God, oh, we pray for our church, for our city, for our state, for our country uh, during this time. Uh, we uh, pray that as the church we would take uh, the lead in this fight uh, against uh, racism, believing that Jesus died for people of every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And we believe it's at your sovereign appointment that you have uh, placed us here, whether in person or online. And we, we pray that uh, your spirit would work through your word, that we would leave changed because we have heard you speak. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. So unlimited is an interesting concept. In general, as humans, we, we find it fairly attractive on the receiving end. Uh, my, my first job was at Fazoli's, and if you don't know anything about that, you probably know they offer unlimited breadsticks, and people generally liked that. 
You gotta love the unlimited uh, salad at Olive Garden. Makes me just hungry thinking about it. Even Panera is offering an unlimited uh, coffee a subscription. You can buy an unlimited pass for car washes if you really want to get your car washed every day. Uh, unlimited data on your a smartphone sounds enticing, and certainly everyone expects unlimited calls, unlimited text uh, these days. And, and for most of us, the idea of unlimited isn't that we need a ridiculous amount. You know, could I get 10 refills of my large drink at Chick-fil-A? Well, yeah. Uh, should I get 10 refills of my, of my Coke at Chick-fil-A? Probably not. It probably would not be a healthy uh, decision there. But, but I like the idea of, hey, I don't have to worry if I, I'm not rationing out, you know, how much of how many chicken nuggets per Coke, like, am I going to make it to the end? If I want more, I can just go get more. That sounds nice, to say the least. You know, data on your, your smartphone. You know, there are certainly some people, Dalen, if you're listening to this, you definitely need unlimited data. But, but there's plenty of other people who have it and don't really need it. My dad would be an example. The weather app uh, on his phone, does it really use all that much data? Probably not. But why would people want unlimited data? Well, it, it's free. You don't have to worry about, like, am, am I getting close? Did, did I you know, not connect to Wi-Fi or something like that? Am I going to be out of data? Am I going to have to pay extra or, or something of na that nature? It, it's a freeing concept. Uh, however, to be on the giving end of unlimited uh, may br bring a different reaction. I, I remember in high school um, serving those unlimited breadsticks and uh, Fazoli's was doing... Uh, bottomless pasta at the time, and, and there was a, a guest who could eat six bowls of fettuccine Alfredo and like 20 plus breadsticks. And, and, and I found it really exciting and a little bit intriguing at the time, but uh, let's just say the kitchen didn't find it um, as great of a concept. So getting them to make that sixth bowl of fettuccine Alfredo was not, was not always that easy. What about the idea of unlimited forgiveness? We're, we're good about being on the receiving end of that. I mean, that, that sounds, sounds freeing. But what, what about on the giving end of that, giving that to others? Well, maybe you recoil a little bit. We will like the idea of a limit or, or you know, like an asterisk. Or a footnote, like they put on some smartphone plans that if you, you know, get to your how many ever gigabytes, they're going to slow you down because you used way too much. We're worried that in forgiveness that we'll be taken advantage of to give unlimited forgiveness. And that's exactly where we pick up our passage today in Matthew.
if you remember from last week, uh, Jesus explained how to deal with a a brother who sins against uh, another brother, sins against one of Jesus' followers. And then uh, Peter comes up here asking uh, Jesus how many times he must forgive his brother who sins against him. And, And I love how Matthew places these two right next to each other. Uh, right back to back. You see, sometimes when we think of church discipline and Matthew 18, we think, well, we're going to start kicking everyone out of the church. Like, everyone, you know, going to be getting to that final step of church discipline. But, But in actuality, look at what Peter is concerned about. That... His worry is that, isn't that they'd be kicking everyone out of the church, out of the group of the followers of Jesus? No, it's that, like, how how much forgiveness is he going to have to offer? Like, if we're actually working things out and going to a brother, not just, you know, spreading rumors, um, holding things in till they boil over, and if things don't go well, they're bringing another uh, one or two people. And, and we're actually working things out as a group. There's going to be a lot of forgiveness. And the standard within Judaism was three times. That, that was the standard amongst the teachers of Jesus' day. So Peter kind of assumes he's being generous here. Seven times the, the number of perfection And Jesus ups the ante here, though, saying 77 times. And that's meant to be a symbolic number for unlimited forgiveness. The idea is that if you're counting or if you're overly concerned about whether it's 77 or 70 times 7, you've missed the main message and are just like those in Jesus' day you think the Pharisees, trying to figure out if the standard of three has been exhausted. You might remember back to Genesis 4, how Cain's revenge was sevenfold and Lamech's was 77-fold. Here, reverse that in relation to forgiveness in this new community Jesus is forming This forgiveness is supposed to be practiced 77-fold. The idea, it's unlimited. And that unlimited forgiveness can seem unreasonable, ridiculous. Therefore, Jesus tells a parable. He starts off here, The kingdom of heaven is compared to a king wishing to settle his accounts with his servants. It's very clear as this parable gets going that the king here is God. And and this parable is going to reveal kingdom truth, better explained in a fictional story than in a set of of statements. So so this servant owes 10,000 talents. And one talent was worth 6,000 denarii. And you might think, that means nothing to me. I mean, 
It's just numbers. I don't know what a talent is. I don't know what a denarii is. Well, to give you an idea, 10,000 talents would pay for around 200,000 years of labor in Jesus' day. That's a lot. That's, if a person were to work 50 years, that's 40,000 people working 50 uh, years. In our world, at like $30,000 a year for, for just you know, basic manual labor, that's $6 billion. And this term for 10000 well, was often used as a hyperbole, meaning myriads, an incalculable number. Today we would say zillions of uh, talents. The point is, without you know, getting counting like how much exactly is this in our day, you know, how many, 200,000 years of labor, that's, that's a long time. I mean, whew, you know, 50 years a person, you know, that's 4,000. I mean, obviously, that's, that's a ton. And it's meant to be an unfathomable uh, amount given, uh, given the context uh, Jesus was in. And it was not even a, a the, that wasn't a capitalistic context where, where, you know, businesses could grow exponentially like some do today. So, so this servant can't pay so, so the master orders him, his family, all his possessions to be sold. And, and, and I love this. It says here, and payment to be made. Well, why does this phrase make me smile? Well, there's not a chance in the world that, you know, selling them off is going to pay for this. Remember, that this is 200,000 Years of labor. A, a typical uh, slave well, was sold for maybe 500 to 2,000 denarii. But you need, remember, 6,000 denarii to just get one talent. So maybe even this nuclear option of liquidating everything, selling off even the entire family, or, or maybe get some one denarii, maybe, or one talent, maybe two talents, but certainly not. 10,000 talents. So, so the servant uh, falls on his knees imploring the master to have patience with him and promising to pay everything. This is an empty promise. There's no way he's coming up with payment. No amount of time will change the, the servant's ability or lack thereof to pay. But look at what it says here, that the master has pity on the servant, releases him, forgiving him his debt. The word for pity here is the same word we saw earlier in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. It says, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. Jesus' audience would have been stunned by this crazy forgiveness. He's not, not just giving the servant what the servant asked for, what the servant wants in, in that more time. 
He's, just, he's not just not selling him and his family into slavery. This is sheer grace. No repayment. And at this point, as some scholars criticize the ridiculous nature of this story. Like, Matthew must have dramatically inflated the numbers. Like, how could a servant ever owe this much? Like, who's lending him this much money? What, what, what did he do with the money? How, how does he, like... And that's not the point. This is a fictional story. The, the zillions of talents are, are meant to, to make a point of the crushing weight uh, of the debt and the shocking compassion of the master. But then what does that servant do? Well, he goes and finds a fellow servant who owes him 100 denarii and demands he, he pay up. Now, that, that's a sizable debt. It, it takes about 100 days of labor to earn that much. So, so in our day, you know, for that's, you know, what? Maybe $10,000, something of that nature. It's not, certainly not pocket change uh, for most, if not any of us. But it's nothing compared to what the master forgave the, the first servant. It's one six hundred thousandth of what he owed. And, and this servant can't pay and pleads for patience in very similar words to that of the first servant. But what does this forgiven servant do? That does he grant the request forgiving is a hundred denarii? No. No, he puts him in prison. And the fellow servants who see what, what has just went down, they can't handle the hypocrisy of this servant who had kindness lavished on him and can't even show a little bit of mercy to his fellow servant. So the master comes. He settles the score. He proclaims the servant's wickedness for not showing mercy as so much Mercy was shown to him. That, that there's no more pleading, no more, no objecting by the servant. The master hands him over, literally in the Greek, to torturers. These were guards who would torture prisoners being questioned. His end situation was worse than his initial predicament. And Jesus ends with these words so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So this has to do with forgiveness between followers of Jesus, between brothers. And this forgiveness needs to come from, from the heart. It's not contrived, not just external words. So what do we learn from this passage. Well, well, verses 21 and 22 reveal the main point that Jesus' followers need to show unlimited forgiveness to one another. And, and this parable explains the reasoning for this crazy requirement that his followers forgive one another an unlimited number 
of times. And first of all, the basis that we must demonstrate unlimited forgiveness because we owe an unimaginable debt. Jesus uses 10,000 talents in this story, an amount his audience could not even comprehend owing. That much, impossible to pay back. And that's the point. You see, that, that's where we find ourselves in this story. That we, like the disciples, are the ones with the unimaginable debt owed to God. That this call uh, to radical forgiveness of not just three times, not just seven, but 77, meaning unlimited, stop counting, just forgive, finds its basis in the gospel. Because of our sin, we owe a tremendous debt. We are hopeless to pay it on our own. Our only hope is that God, that the master, does something for us. In order to see the glory of what was purchased by the blood of Jesus, we have to see this massive crushing debt we owed, the gravity of our sin. And you might be hearing this and think you're not all that bad. Maybe you came to faith at an early age and you feel you've lived a fairly moral life. Well, guess what? You're just like the chief villains we've seen in this gospel, the Pharisees. You need to repent of trying to earn God's favor. You need to repent of the same sin that got Satan kicked out of heaven. Pride. See, some people conceive of this world as a bunch of good people and a few of bad people. And, and although that may conception uh, may work as a lens for, for viewing uh, some events, some groups, it, it is far from biblical for understanding humanity against the backdrop of God and his righteousness. It's not that we're the good people in here and all those people out there are the, the bad people. No, it's that there's one good person. His name is Jesus and the rest of us have transgressed God's law. The rest of us owe this unimaginable debt. So do, do you view your sin in that way? If you are a Christian, I pray that this, it, it would, first of all, if you're not a Christian, I pray that the Spirit would show you the gravity of your sin against God so that you would see your desperate need of Jesus. If you are, let it be a reminder of the debt we owed. And that sets the stage for the good news in this parable. Verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave the debt. See, we must demonstrate unlimited forgiveness because God has compassion on us. The good news is that God offers forgiveness. Not because he overlooks our debt, 
considers our sin less offensive to him, but because Jesus pays it on our behalf. Just as in the parable, this servant goes free. He doesn't owe anything. He didn't have to do anything to get out of this debt. Well, well, the same for us. But, But don't miss that there's a cost. In the parable, the cost is absorbed by the master. And and for us, it costs the very lifeblood of Jesus to pay our debt and reconcile us with the Father. God's forgiveness of that unimaginable debt uh, forms the the basis of Jesus' call for unlimited forgiveness of one another, which is to characterize Jesus' followers. Without hearing the rest of this story, uh, Jesus' original hearers would have assumed, like, well, of course, that servant, he's going to be really excited. He's going to be generous. You know, how can he not show mercy if anyone else owes him money? And and that's obviously the, the right response to such mercy. God's forgiveness of our unimaginable debt owed him should cause us to forgive one another. This forgiveness is crucial to us living together as the church. This is forgiveness of one another that's needed for the small things and is our only hope of forgiving the grievous sins committed against us. See here, Jesus isn't minimizing wrongs that can be done to you by Christians or or non-Christians alike. It's not that this uh, debt that the second servant owed, the first servant was was just trivial. I mean, it was significant. the, The point here is... Look at it in comparison what the first servant owed the, the master. N- nobody can do anything to me that comes close to the treason I have committed against God. The father had to pour out his wrath against his own son to pay for my debt to satisfy his righteous anger and therefore I can forgive. If you are a Christian here or listening to this, do you believe that you've been forgiven? You know, your, your conception of forgiveness may have been impacted by a person in a life who, quote unquote, you know, forgave you of something, but, but still held on to it a little bit in case you know, leverage was needed or something like that. Maybe you struggle to believe that um, wrongs you've done can be forgiven. Pushed aside, sure. Not acted on, yeah. But truly forgiven. You would have a point if God was just covering over sin. Covering over, think of 
you know, paint. It only works uh, for a while. You, you know, there's still comes back, still going to need to be painted eventually again. But how can God, as First uh, John 1, 9 says, remove our transgressions as far as the east is from the west? Oh, that, that brings us to the gospel, where God goes far beyond just covering over sin. He pours out his wrath on Jesus. The Father made an absolute bloody mess of Jesus for my sin. That's my confidence that my sin is dealt with. That, that's my confidence that there is true and full forgiveness. My hope is not in myself that did I ask forgive, for forgiveness in the right words? Did I 100% mean it? Was I completely genuine? My, my hope isn't in my, myself. My hope is in Jesus hanging on the cross, crying out to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's my sure hope that my sin is forgiven permanently paid for with the body and blood of Jesus. And you might rightly wonder at this point, oh, what happens if the, the person doesn't think he or she needs forgiveness or has done anything uh, wrong? Well, well, first of all, I mean, it's, it's, it's primary context. Is that within the body of the followers of Jesus where what we heard last week in working out wrongs done to one another happens. But also, true forgiveness is a, a two-way street. At the same time, the words and actions of Jesus are insightful for this. Remember back to the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus radically proclaimed, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. If a person is still an enemy, a true forgiveness, reconciliation can't have happened, can't have fully happened. However, as Christians, we're, we're called to pray for that person. Uh, John Piper insightfully writes, we are to bless them, and that blessing means that our part of the inward forgiveness has happened. The opposite of forgiveness is holding a grudge, but blessing is the opposite of holding a grudge, and so blessing is a kind of forgiving. We release all grudges, all bitterness. We, we set aside revenge, trusting God, the God of all the earth, who will surely do right. So, so my question for you is, so who do you need to forgive? Or, or how does your conception of forgiveness need to change? And, and just in case you're not all that motivated yet to actually practice this forgiveness, well, this parable isn't over yet. Verse 28. And when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. 
Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers, the torturers, until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So so Jesus is, is proclaiming here that we must demonstrate unlimited forgiveness because failure to show Mercy will result on God's wrath on us. Jesus designed this story to to be unexpected how this forgiven servant won't have any mercy on his fellow servant. Without the context of the first servant being forgiven this massive, ridiculous debt Would it have been unreasonable that he put his fellow servant in jail for owing the equivalent of 100 days wages? No. I mean, it wasn't nice. But it would have generally complied with the laws of that day. It happened. It happened on occasion at the very least. But the point is that in light of the debt the servant was forgiven, his actions are disgusting. And the parable ends with the master making things right. He settles the score. It seems reasonable that the servant who wouldn't forgive his fellow servant is in the end, he's unforgiven by the master. However, do any of you find it at least a little disturbing Jesus' closing words so, that say, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. That's more than just serious. That, that's harsh. So, so the big question is, so who is Jesus talking about? Let's look at our options. We, we could say uh, non-Christians. And, and that's a pretty easy answer to swallow. Uh, as those who don't love Jesus often don't, don't forgive other people. And, uh, you know, being not forgiven by the Father, delivered over to jailers, torturers. It fits with many of the other things we, we've seen Jesus say ab- about hell. The problem is, look at who his audience is. Beginning of chapter 18, it's the disciples. Peter, in verse 21 that we read, specifically is the one who comes to Jesus asking uh, the the question. And Jesus says the, the fate, if you do not forgive your brother, 
which in context certainly seems to mean a fellow follower of Jesus. All right, so, so if it's not that one, other options, that does it mean that you know, somebody loses their salvation? Uh, well, well, this fits with, with the parable in that the forgiven servant ends up unforgiven in the end. But, but that directly contradicts other scriptures. Just, just a sampling, John 6. And this is the will of him who sent me, that's Jesus, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes on him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. A few chapters later, John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. One more, Philippians 1. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You see, is from this just a few scriptures, that, that staying a Christian, staying forgiven, first and foremost has to do with God. That can you get out of the hand of Jesus? Can you stop the good work he is working in you? Can you rid yourself of the indwelling Holy Spirit? So, so back to this parable. Although losing salvation, losing forgiveness, you know, seems like a possible interpretive option from this parable by itself. I mean, it should be rejected because it directly contradicts the rest of Scripture. So, so what are our other options? So we have the appearance of being a Christian. And this seems attractive. It fits with, you know, false teachers False disciples in the life of Jesus, and, and we see in the early church, we see in our own experience. Uh, the, the person appears to be forgiven, but actions reveal otherwise. And, and this would directly apply to one of the disciples, at least hearing this, and that's of a Judas who was following Jesus, but we're going to find out by the end of this gospel he was not <laughs> truly following Jesus. He appeared to be. But, but, but what about the other disciples? I mean, Peter's the one who specifically asked Jesus the, the question. Most of the disciples were true followers of Jesus. So, so that brings to, to my view. is uh, My view is that Jesus is addressing true followers of him. And you might say, well, that sounds almost identical to the lose your salvation view, right? Well, close, but, but it's actually far from it. You see, this warning is addressed to Jesus' followers and by heeding this very stern warning, his followers will persevere. persevere. His followers will 
forgive their brothers and sisters in Jesus and will be saved on the final day. So, so my message to you, church, is this, is that if you will not forgive one another, God will not forgive you on the final day. God will pour out his wrath on you. Heed that warning and forgive. This is not a small matter. That This is not optional. That This should freak us out a little bit and should cause us to desire to forgive one another as we have been forgiven in Jesus. Yet, yes, failure to forgive others does do many things to you. It does eat away at you internally. But we should be most concerned with this final warning of God not forgiving us the massive debt we owe him. We should heed this warning and forgive one another. Let's pray.